attention, please. This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and really for the past several episodes, I've been working my way through some Batman-related uh, comics, specifically those related, or I guess more specifically, those related to Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon. And the reason for that is because I talk about comics movies and TV shows. But let's be realistic. I, I seem to spend most of my time talking more about comics than I do either of those other two subjects. So, hmm. Anyway. I guess the, the origin for all of this was a couple of weeks ago. Actually, months ago, really. I went off on this sort of Batman uh, reading project. I just got a wild hair to read a shitload of Batman comics, and in the process of doing so, I ended up coming across a subplot that had truly eluded me all those years, right? I had just, I I never knew that this particular subplot ever existed in the comics, and really, the reason for that is because I'd kind of tuned out of Batman comics after a certain point. The reason for that is because, let's face it, Batman fans can be a pretty fucking obnoxious bunch at times. And so because of that, it was just not exactly top of my list of priorities to read Batman comics. So whether or not that was the right policy, that nevertheless was the policy. And so I just sort of dropped out of Batman for a lot of years there. and. 
I don't know what happens in life, but sometimes you decide that you shouldn't let, let's face it, a couple of complete assholes dictate your fandom to you, you know? And so that's where I found myself with Batman. I wanted basically to read a bunch of Batman comics that I enjoy without, I guess separate from what a bunch of just pretentious dickheads Batman fans can be sometimes, right? And so, like I say, in the process of doing so, I came across a particular subplot that, as I was saying, it truly had eluded me all those years, and so I felt like I probably need to talk about it. And so that's where uh, all of this stuff is coming from, for those interested. And so for today, I'm going to be talking about, this is a, uh, I think think the title of this is actually just called Batman, Batgirl. And let's face it, this was part of a spate of releases, comic book one-shots that were uh, tie-ins to Batman and Robin. It's kind of funny how in the summer of 1997, or actually I guess really the spring of 1997, we had these Batman one-shots that all featured Batgirl, Bane, Mr. Freeze, and Poison Ivy. The fact that all of those characters were making their debut in Batman and Robin you know, the movie from 1997, I guess makes no never mind. So, I don't know. Anyway, so... Having finally gotten a chance to read at least this, I haven't really touched the the other crossovers, but or not the crossovers, I'm sorry, those other tie-ins for Bane, Mr. Freeze, and Poison Ivy, but obviously I have read the Batgirl one-shot, and this is... Well, best just to get into it. Executive editor is Mike Carlin. Cover artist is Brian Stelfreeze. Writer is Kelly Puckett. Penciler is Matt Haley. Inker is Carl Kiesel. Colorist is Digital Chameleon. Letterer is Willie Schubert. Schubert? I really don't actually know how to pronounce that. Editor is Scott Peterson. And the comic opens with Barbara Gordon sitting in the back of a police car reading a newspaper article about the sudden mysterious appearance of a Batgirl who stopped Killer Moth from attacking a bunch of Gotham's wealthy upper crust at a dinner party. One of the cops tries to make small talk with her, but suddenly gets interrupted by a message over the police radio saying that a 420, which is to say assault with a deadly weapon, is in progress. While they're the car that's actually closest to the crime scene, the officers are pretty reluctant to do anything uh, that's all that dangerous while the police commissioner's daughter is with them. But Barbara ends up uh, responding to the call anyway, and she pretty much demands that the the police make their way over there. And so before too long, the three of them reach the area, and Barbara's told to stay in, in, in the back of the squad car. At first, she watches the scene intensely, looking for a chance to... Uh, switch over to to, uh, her Batgirl outfit, but the standoff ends pretty quickly and the cops get the situation under control, much to her disappointment. Suddenly, one of the suspects makes a run for it and Barbara kicks the the police squad car's door open and slams into the criminal, stopping him. When they return to the police department, the cops ask her, that is to say Babs, not to tell the commissioner what's happened because they're just not sure that he'd understand the circumstances. The commissioner happens to overhear all this, and the cops pretty much guessed it right, because he's not very happy. He takes Barbara into his office and tells her that the last thing he needs is to hear that she's been commandeering squad cars, 
and citing that uh, he has 12 men out with, uh, who are out sick with the flu, a full moon that's uh, occurring later that night, which for those of you who don't know, that tends to be a very busy night in the world of law enforcement, and that Batman has once again gone missing. A 911 call suddenly comes in and announces that the Joker's broken into the Barbieri candy shop, and Gordon sends over a bunch of uh, police units to the scene of the crime. Barbara goes along too and reasons that the Joker is, is going to know police procedure and try to sneak out of a back way. She goes around the back to investigate but finds nothing in, in, inside the empty parking lot. But things take a turn when she nearly gets run over by a speeding car that's trying to get out of the parking structure. She attempts to stop it by closing the overhead door, ripping off the top half of the car in the process. The driver still manages to, to drive away but Barbara finds a blueprint blueprint in the wreckage left by the escaping car. It has the name and home address of Peter Barbieri, owner of Barbieri Candies. Barbara tries to show it to her father, but the factory explodes and Commissioner Gordon sends her away to a safer location before she can explain exactly what it is that she's found. Barbara calls the police to warn them about the Joker's attack on the Barbieri's house when they ask who's calling, and she uh, simply answers with, Ask Killer Moth. And then the next page shows her as Batgirl. Batgirl hides in the woods surrounding the Barbieri's house where she barely avoids being found by armed thug, thugs that are on patrol for the Joker. She gets her chance to slip inside the house after a squad car pulls up. Initially it's overwhelmed by the thugs, but Barbara attacks one of the guards, giving the police a chance to fight everybody else off. This fight distracts the thugs and the police long enough for Batgirl to get away. She crashes through a window and hurts her shoulder uh, while calling for Mr. Barbieri to get out of the house. She's attacked by Mr. Barbieri, who tells his wife to call the police because Batgirl just broke into their home. Another thug enters the room with a gun and threatens Mrs. Barbieri with it. At that moment, Batgirl picks up a fire poker and smacks him upside the head and definitely lays the guy out. Horrified with what she's done, she's unable to react when the Joker walks into the room and shoots Mr. and Mrs. Barbieri. He then knocks Batgirl out with the butt of his gun, but not before she sees a little boy, that is to say the Barbieri's son, crouched behind a chair. When Batgirl regains consciousness, she finds herself locked in a room with the boy who won't say anything. She determines that they're in some kind of amusement park, meaning that the building that they're in has a false floor. She rips up floorboards and finds a hollow crawl space to escape into. The crawl space leads them to a chute that Batgirl says that she can't fit through. She attempts to find another way around, this time picking up a pipe and preparing to knock out the henchman standing guard in the doorway. She's reluctant to do it though because of the henchman that she put down earlier. And so she tells herself that she's doing this so that the little boy can escape. As she prepares to smack the henchman from behind, another henchman appears. The first says that he didn't know anything about kidnapping girls and little kids when he took this job, but the second one tells him that little girl, meaning Batgirl, that little girl would crack your head open if she could. Just look what she did to Roth. Batgirl decides to go, th uh, go through the chute rather than hit anyone else again. As they crawl through the chute, Batgirl can hear a room full of henchmen talking about their mortgages and ex-girlfriends and all finding it so weird that they sound just like the guys at the station, meaning the police station. After making it all the way out of the chute, 
She then realizes that the henchmen can see the exit from where they are. She tells the boy to count to ten and then run outside and keep running until he finds a phone to call the police. Batgirl then uses herself as a distraction, getting all the henchmen to chase after her. She thinks she's in the clear after she loses all of them inside the amusement park, but takes a wrong turn and stumbles into the shooting gallery where the Joker's waiting for her. The Joker explains that he killed the Barbaries because he'd eaten a piece of Barbary nougat surprise and found that there was a cherry in it. What kind of freak puts cherry in nougat? He then asks Batgirl if she's not disgusted by this meaningless waste of human life that he's caused. She says that she is, and then the Joker places a gun in front of her and asks her why she doesn't do anything about it. At that moment, a henchman rushes in to tell the Joker that the kid escaped and they need to get the hell out of there. Joker insists on having a little fun, quote-unquote, with Batgirl first. Joker has Batgirl bolted to a spinning wheel where he prepares to throw knives at her. When he's just about to throw his first knife, one of Batgirl's restraints is cut by a batarang. Batman appears and takes down the Joker's thugs. The Joker pulls out a gun and begins to fire at random. In so doing, he hits Batman and leaves a huge gash on the side of his head. Batman goes down, bleeding profusely. Batgirl reaches for his mask, but he grabs a wrist to stop her, which is when she notices that his grip is very weak. The Joker tries to finish Batman off with another shot, but Batgirl grabs his gun. She calls him nuts and then begins to laugh at him, which seriously pisses the Joker off in a huge way. The police arrive and immediately grab him, meaning the Joker, while a gurney gets pulled onto the scene for Batman, as he asks Commissioner Gordon to take him to Dr. Tompkins. The commissioner arrives at home later to find Barbara in bed. She asks him if he, found his, if he finds his job exciting. He replies that after a while, it's really not about good or bad. It's about people getting hurt or not getting hurt. He does concede, though, that if he was as young as Babs, he might see things differently. Babs tells herself that she's not that young any, uh, anymore either, as her reflection in the bedroom window looks back as Batgirl. So, what did I think? Honestly, this issue was a little bit hit and miss for me. Now, literally on page one, we get a little bit of discontinuity with Batgirl year one. This story is chronologically supposed to take place after Batgirl year one, even though it was published before Batgirl year one. Does that make sense? So I'm not sure if I should bust anybody's balls about this or not, but basically, literally, the first thing on the first page says that Barbara had never really thought about joining the police force because she thought it'd be too violent. But that's really not what we saw at all in Batgirl Year One. The only reason she didn't join the police force was because her dad pretty much pissed her off and then stonewalled her and wouldn't let her join... Uh, join the force. That's really the only reason it didn't happen. It wasn't because of Barbara's preference, shall we say. Still, I guess moving away from that, the first page shows us uh, the front page of uh, the Gotham Gazette newspaper that says mysterious Batgirl, quote-unquote, saves socialite. And then there's a picture of Bruce Wayne underneath that. But also underneath the headline is a sort of an artist's rendering of Batgirl who looks nothing at all like like 
the Barbara, uh, the Barbara Gordon version of Batgirl. This, it looks like it was sort of based on, I don't know, I guess eyewitness descriptions of what Batgirl looks like, but it's not really the way her outfit looks. And I don't know why, but I actually find that uh, convincing, I guess, because at the at that costume party, I mean, shit was going down, and I think a lot of the people there were perhaps a little bit tipsy, but for sure they were in fear of their lives, and I don't think anyone really got all that good a look at Batgirl, and so I could see that they might have described Batgirl as looking this way to a police artist, considering all the other bullshit that was going on at the time. So, I don't know. The other thing that kind of strikes me about page one, though, is you see this in comics sometimes where they'll have sort of news stories or fragments of news stories that have a real story to it, right? For instance, it says, um, one of the sidebar stories says, Killer Moth trounced by teen. And uh, Jeff Wilson, a Gazette staff reporter, writes, a new mysterious creature of the night made her society debut this evening at a dinner attended by Gotham's elite, blah, 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 blah. And it's sort of a, uh, a rough summary of what happened during Batgirl's first appearance at the costume party from Batgirl Year One. And you see that in comics. It'll be like a real, and I'm using that sort of in quotation marks, it'll be a real story. You probably don't get the whole story, but you'll get an actual story. It's not just gibberish. But on the other side of the page, you do get gibberish. This, this is just nonsense letters. It uh, H G T F S P Y M N D T N Q J P N Q. I mean, it doesn't say anything. It's just kind of there. And so I've seen both of those in comics before. I've just never seen both of those on one page. You know, and you're supposed to infer that there's some kind of bullshit story here that doesn't really matter to anything. But it's just weird to have a weird story. That is to say, like a, a gibberish non-story. It's just random text on the same page as something that's a real story. And again, I'm using that in quotation marks. It's not an actual story. It's just, I guess, a meta newspaper story. I don't know. Whatever. It's just weird. That's all I'm saying. So, moving over to page two. You know, you get the idea sometimes that every single cop, every beat cop on the Gotham City Police Force has got to have a crush on Barbara or something because I think in every single one of these issues, somebody's always trying to flirt with her. And that's what we see here, and I don't know. I mean, you know what? Maybe she really is just that eligible, a bachelorette, but I would have thought that most uniform cops would think twice about dating the commissioner's daughter, but what do I know? Anyway, so from there, uh, you know, moving ahead a little bit, um, we see... Barbara come face to face with a real police situation and she's on the one hand obviously scared out of her mind but she's also got uh, the presence of mind to ninja kick the the uh, squad car's uh, door open and take that thug right out of action <clears throat> and the way that it just hits him in the face like this I mean golly that guy had to lose at least a couple of teeth here right but uh, anyway it's just it's a reminder to us that, 
you know, Gar the, the Barbara may be really raw when it comes to, you know, being a crime fighter and everything, but she's still got a natural talent for this. And because of the fact that she just doesn't have a Batman's raw physical firepower, she's got to use other ways of of physically dominating her opponents. And so in this case, what she does is instead of hopping out of the police car and saying, stop, get down on the ground, freeze, you know, and just sort of tough guy bullshit like that, she just picks her moment and then she pushes her car door open and gets the drop on the guy that way. And I don't know. I just find that really believable that she uses her surroundings to her, to her advantage instead of trying to force a physical advantage that she just doesn't have. So... Anyway, it's easy to believe. That's what I'm saying. So, anyway, next couple of pages. Um, and I really wish I could give you page numbers for every single one of these, but unfortunately, not every single one of these pages is numbered because we're starting to get into an era in comics where page numbers were starting to go by the wayside. So, anyway. We see Barbara in the parking garage, and <clears throat> she's basically helping the police secure the area, right? She knows police procedure, but moreover than that, she knows that the Joker knows police procedure. And so she knows that if he's going to make his escape, if he hasn't already, now's the time to do it. And they need to secure the parking garage. And so I just, again, this emphasizes the fact that Barbara is good at what she does. She has to, she has to do her job in a, in a way that's different from Batman because she just doesn't have Batman's physical strength. And so she has to use her wits. She's got to use her surroundings. She's got to basically press every other advantage she can in order to get ahead. And so she doesn't try to stop the car herself. I mean, Batman might actually hop on the hood of the car and punch through the windshield and try to take the Joker down that way. Barbara doesn't do that. She lowers the security gate and tries to stop the Joker that way. <clears throat> now, it doesn't work, but it could have worked. That's the point. And there's no way she could have really planned for this, but, but she does find a clue that tells her what, you know, where the Joker is going to go next. And it's just a, a reminder that this... Number one, Barbara's good at what she does. Number two... She does her job. She fights smarter, not harder. And she's also very observant. She notices that she's now got a clue in the form of this business card or whatever the hell this thing is that pretty much tells her exactly where the Joker's headed. And I don't know. It just, it, it, it plays for me. And so next you've got Batgirl swinging into action and she's going up against the fucking Joker. Now... On the one hand, I would almost want to take points away from the story for that, because by this point in, I guess, the whatever timeline or history you want to attach to this version of Batgirl, the Joker's reputation has got to be pretty well known. He's not somebody that you need to fuck with too much, but the fact of the matter is this story has given Barbara plausible reasons to go after the Joker all by herself. And that's because of the fact that as far as anybody knows, Batman's out of town. And so if Barbara doesn't take the Joker on, who else is there? 
So, and this actually kind of raises some continuity questions, you know, exactly how part of the team, for lack of a better expression, how connected to Batman is, is Babs at this moment? If we go by the Batgirl year one timeline, this follows right after the showdown with Killer Moth at the uh, costume party. And Batgirl was not a valid part of Batman's team at this point. But on the other hand, Batgirl year one wouldn't be released for like another six years or something like that. So it does beg the question, is Kelly Puckett obligated to follow continuity that doesn't even exist yet? I don't know. But uh, anyway, just something worth thinking about. But either way you look at it, Batgirl has got plausible reasons to tackle the Joker all by herself. And the fact of the matter is she actually does well for herself in that she saves the, uh, the uh, uniform uh, police officers from the Joker's henchmen. She breaks into the Barbieri's house. And then she rescues their son pretty much single-handed, right? Now, in the process of doing this, she smacks uh, one of the henchmen upside the head with a fire poker. And it's kind of ambiguous in the story as to whether or not he died. Now, if Barbara took somebody's life, if she killed somebody, Batman would go after her for it, you know? I really can't picture this version of Batman letting something like that slide. There would be consequences for this. Even if Batman threatened that if she ever put the mask on again, he'd he'd rat her out to her father, there would be consequences. I, and so because of that, I just can't buy the, the idea that this guy died. She may not have meant to hurt him as bad as she did, which could be, I don't know, a fractured skull or who the hell knows what else. Batgirl may not have meant to hurt the guy as badly as she did, but I just find it hard to believe that the guy died. But all of the plot synopses and whatnot that I found online all seem to indicate that the guy, the guy's worm food. So I don't know what to think. But as I say, I just, if Barbara really had killed this guy, Batman would drop the hammer of God on her. So I don't know what to think there. Either way, though, that leads to uh, the Joker getting the drop, not so much on Batgirl, but definitely on the Barbieries. And he pretty much just blows him away. And that is the moment that this story... I mean, this story wasn't exactly bright, shiny, happy, fun to begin with. This story got really fucking dark. And I realize that the Joker isn't... At least a, in this vintage of Batman's publication history, he's not exactly a, a funny character. But shooting those people in the head like that, even though the... Um, it all happens sort of, or at least the bullet hitting their heads happens off panel. It just seems like that's too much too soon for Batgirl in this vintage of her career to see. I mean, there are things in life that you can see that people, you, you just can't unsee that, you know? And I don't know. It's that to me, that was a little bit, that was going a little bit too far in the story because especially since we find out that this happened right in front of, uh, the Barbieri's son. You know, it happened in front of Batgirl, but it also happened in front of uh, 
the Barbieri's son. And I, I just got problems with that. That's just, that's just a little too dark for my taste. And so, <clears throat> anyway. Moving on from there, uh, this again shows Barbara's, I guess, creativity in all of this, that she finds a way out of the trap. Well, this, I guess it's not really a trap. Out of her little prison here. She finds a way out, not just for herself, but uh, for the Barbieri boy. And she does it in a way that puts herself at risk. And I, I find that very easy to believe. I mean, Barbara, like I said, she uses her surroundings to her, to her advantage. She doesn't, she doesn't look for physical conflict where she, you know, when she can avoid it. And here, she does find a way to avoid it, while at the same time giving the Barbieri boy a chance to escape. But let's face it, there's a very real chance this could, this could get her killed. Especially at the moment when she, when she crashes in on uh, the Joker, and he's just in the shooting gallery blasting targets at random, you know? So, anyway. From there, we get to this sort of... This is a pretty dark little death trap that the Joker's got rigged up for, for Batgirl here, that he's basically going to throw knives at her. And I find this pretty easy to believe, I guess, in some ways, because, you know, the Joker isn't necessarily the kind of guy that would just shoot somebody in the head just because, hey, he can, you know? And... There comes the point where the battering swoops down, cuts Barbara's uh, restraint here, and then that allows her to free herself from um, that uh, revolving wheel, and then she can get the drop on the Joker. And <sighs> I don't know. I mean, it's just that leads into a section where there's still more darkness here, and that Batman gets his. The side of his head gets grazed by a bullet, and there's this moment where Joker actually looks a little horrified at what he's done, you know? Like, he actually asks, this is on page, of course there's not a fucking page number here, wouldn't you know? This is, yeah, this is page 44. He asks if Batman's dead, and he then moves in for the kill when Batgirl says that he's not, and then she disarms him, and... This is a, just sort of a random moment in the story that's like it finally sinks in for Batgirl. The Joker's fucking nuts. And it's like this didn't occur to her or something. I, I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, I'm not really sure what to, what to think of this. You know, I mean, by this point in the Joker's career, if you don't already know that the guy's a nut job, I'm really not sure what to tell you here, dude. Anyway, now excuse me while I get a drink off my Coke here. I've been rambling so much. <clears throat> anyway, it's just that's kind of a weird little moment in the story. In fact, this story in general is just one big weird little moment that... What the fuck, you know? And I can't help thinking that if Kelly Puckett wrote this if he'd had a chance to write this story 
after Batgirl Year One, when that was a, a little bit more canonical, I can't help thinking that this story would be a little bit more uh, evenly balanced. I mean, I can overlook the, the continuity imperfections just because so much of the continuity that gets contradicted here technically didn't exist at the time that Kelly Puckett wrote this story. But the tone of it, I don't know why, but except for the killing joke, which is sort of its own thing, except for the killing joke, I've always regarded the Barbara Gordon Batgirl as being a little more fun and lighthearted. You know, she's a little bit more likely to, uh, you know, crack wise and, you know, make jokes and all that stuff. And there's really not a whole lot of that going on in this story. But as I say, you also get these weird little moments where Barbara just starts laughing at the Joker for no apparent fucking reason. I mean, like what? You didn't know the guy was already insane before? Number one. Number two, I don't see anything especially funny about that. So, I, I, I don't know. Whatever. I mean, your actual mileage may vary here, but I just... You know, of the Batgirl stories that I've read so far, you know, in these episodes, this one just seems like the most weak sauce to me, you know? I just, I don't get it. So, not saying it's bad, I'm just saying that there's, eh, there's just something missing here, you know? The tone of this thing is just off, somehow. And that's really about the best way that I can, that I can think of it. It's, it's not bad. It's just the darkness here is a little too all-pervasive. At least for my taste. I don't know. Maybe I'm not doing a good job of explaining this, but there's just something here that just doesn't sit right. So what I will say, though, is this. This is rather shamelessly a tie-in with uh, the movie Batman and Robin. But it doesn't come off as... I don't know, as, as, I guess, blatant and heavy-handed as a tie-in as, as as it could have, I guess. I mean, I've read other tie-ins. Uh, I think one of them was, Cat, or rather two of them were Catwoman Defiant and Penguin Triumphant from about the time of Batman Returns in 1992. And those, I don't know, it's just, it, those felt a little more shameless somehow that DC would just happen to be publishing Penguin and Catwoman uh, one-shots right around the time a new Batman movie starring the Penguin and Catwoman was coming out. So, I don't know. It, it just seemed a little too much... Uh, a little... It just seemed too coincidental, I guess, you know? And that not-at-all-coincidental sort of way. And, sh like I say, just kind of shameless about it. This, it does feel like it's somewhat organic to what was going on in the Batman titles, and especially in the late 90s, where you had uh, Barbara making a real name for herself as Oracle. And this felt like it was a decent opportunity to look back at perhaps where, not so much Batgirl, but more specifically Babs got her start, you know? So, I don't know. That part actually works for me. Like I say, it's not as it's not as I guess, blatant a, a movie tie-in as it might have been. So I can say that much for it. But just as a story, I don't know. I just, I wasn't, a, I really wasn't all that, all, all that fond of this issue. So whatever you think that's worth. So 
Next, we're moving forward, uh, I guess, exactly one year because we get a, uh, this is Batgirl Girl Frenzy. Uh, and let me flip back to it here. Yes, the cover date here is uh, June of 1998, so about a year after uh, that Batgirl one-shot. Writer is Kelly Puckett. Artists are Jim Ballant and Rick Burchett. Rick Burchett. Rick, I don't even know how the hell to pronounce it. Rick Burkett. I don't know how to pronounce that name. Trish Mulville as the colorist. Oh boy, this is a mouthful. Blayart Rowe Haniv as the separator. Clem Robbins, letterer. Darren Vincenzo, sorry, Darren Vin, Vincenzo, associate editor. Scott Peterson, editor. And we've got a little bit more of a succinct summary for Girl Frenzy than we had for the last one. Uh, let's see. This is Batgirl finds that fighting crime doesn't provide the thrills that it once did. But that may not be a problem for very long unless she can defeat the horrifying serial killer known as Mr. Zaz. So how's that for a quick summary, huh? Anyway, so we get uh, page one. Uh, this is Barbara fighting some armed thugs. And really right from the start, what you get uh, you get the idea that this is a this is a Babs who's just a lot more practiced at uh, taking on opponents physically. Basically taking on armed criminals physically. Because here she's taking on two of them at the same time. She uh, ninja kicks one of them upside the head. And then another one, she breaks his arm. And then the third one, the guy that she just she just disarmed... She points the gun at the third one. And this, again, is one of those moments that I find it just kind of hard to believe. I mean, at this point, I would think that Batgirl is a full-fledged member of Batman's team. And she, I think, would know better than to point a gun at anybody, really. And so I realize it's, a, it's kind of a neat little moment in the story. But, I don't know, I just, I, I just find this all, uh, you know, really hard to believe. The other thing is, she tells the guy, while pointing the gun at him, to run away. So she basically lets the guy get away from, you know, the middle of a, hug, uh, of a mugging. And she doesn't even try to detain them, she doesn't try to call the police, she doesn't try to do anything. Top of all of that, she actually tells the guy, the next time something like this happens, just shoot him. And again, I mean... Look, I agree with that philosophy myself. When somebody a attacks you, shoot first and ask questions later. But I just can't believe that a protege of Batman would give that advice to anybody. So, I don't know. Maybe he would. You know, maybe Batman would, would tell, you know, the everyman that. But I, I don't know. Maybe not. <sighs> anyway, so from there... Uh, we cut to Babs basically swooping all over the city, and it, it it comes out that she's looking for the serial killer, Mr. Zaz. And this, again, goes to character in as much as Babs uses, I would say, police-style detective work. Uh, first of all, to uh, to track Zaz down, and then second of all, to... 
I guess basically to, to find a way to follow Zaz back to... I can't even say his hideout because I'm not sure that he quite has one. But all of that, it just... Her ability to put the pieces together here, connect all the dots, it's easy to believe in. You know, Barbara's taken criminology. She's a police officer's daughter. She hangs around with police officers all the time. It's not a stretch of the imagination to think that she's capable of thinking in, you know, these types of more creative terms. And I just, I find it all easy to believe. Now... From there, we get into this moment where Barbara actually does track down Zaz, and I would say after that, the shit pretty much hits the fan, and as much as she, she went in there without a plan, and I just, I don't know, I find this extremely hard to believe. I mean... My reading of Batgirl is that if she truly thought she'd found her man, she'd stake the place out, call the police to make sure that the guy doesn't escape, but then from there, let the police handle it. You know, you're talking about going up against a guy who kills people just for the hell of it, you know? And I don't think Barbara would want to face somebody like that all by herself. And it's just, I don't know. I find it hard to believe. And... To me, the more likely thing is that she'd, she'd phone in uh, an anonymous tip to the police and let them know what's going on. So, now, what I can believe, and obviously we see this, this very thing coming to pass, you know, Barbara ends up, she does take him down with her bare hands. You know, she does win the fight, but I don't know. I mean, I just, I can't envision circumstances where she would go in she she would rush into this thing all by herself and at this stage in in her career she knows who batman is and so um if nothing else i mean she would call him even if i mean even if you can convince yourself that she wouldn't call the police although i think she would she would call in batman there's no there's no two ways about that and she doesn't here. I mean, yeah, Batman has... She has a little moment with Batman on... Um, I guess that... Why don't they n number these fucking pages? Yeah, this is on page 21. She has a little moment with Batman. But really, that's it. You know, that's... I mean, he really only shows up in those three panels, and then that's the end of it. Barbara would call the police. Or lacking that, she would... She would call somebody, all right? She would not take this guy on all by herself, right? I don't care how personal this is to her or how much she wants to see this guy go down, she wouldn't want to become a statistic. And there's a chance that she might if she goes in there by herself. And now, to be fair, you know, what she does is, uh, in her fight with Zaz, she literally rubs salt in his wound, and that's what al allows her to get the upper hand. She breaks his hand, and then does that ninjutsu punch on his face, where you hit him with, like, the palm of your hand rather than your knuckles, because that's a good way to break a knuckle if you punch somebody on the head like that. Or, sorry, punch him on the jaw. And so that, I, all that stuff I can believe in. But I don't know. I just, I'm not trying to beat this to death. I'm just saying that I can't bu you know, buy for one moment that Barbara would, would risk death in this way. You know, I mean, it's just, it's not believable. But then towards the 
end of, or rather the bottom of uh, page 21, Barbara says out loud, she thinks that she needs a little bit of time off. And again, this just doesn't really match up with Babs as I've always envisioned her, you know? Barbara is not a normal person doing extraordinary things. Barbara's a little bit of a thrill seeker. And again, I don't mean that in like the, that sort of negative adrenaline junkie sense of the word. Barbara wants, she wants to help. She wants to be involved in law enforcement in some, some capacity or another. And this was the only place where she could earn her stripes. But I think as much as anything, she's in it somewhat for the thrill, you know? And I think she would be affected by the things that she sees and her, the experiences that she has. I don't think she would be so affected by it, though, that she'd, she'd need some time off. I mean, you know what? Maybe she would. I mean, I, 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 there's one thing I, that I can't say. It's that I'm a big Barbara Gordon expert. It's just, this is one of those things that it just felt forced, I guess. I just don't completely buy into, I mean, if there are circumstances where Barbara might want to take a vacation from being Batgirl for a little while, these are pretty much the circumstances where it would happen. I'm just saying that in general, that's just, that's a little, that, that, that's a concept that I've got a little bit of trouble with, you know? I struggle with that. It just it just doesn't scan for me, you know? So, I don't know. All around. I mean, I, I definitely enjoy Girl Frenzy more than I did the Batgirl one-shot. You know, with all of its, the weird tonal problems that it was having, and admittedly the sketchy continuity issues that may or may not be Kelly Puckett's fault. You know, um, those things... Eh, whatever. I mean, I, I could see... If anything, I could see uh, Batgirl being overwhelmed with with uh, her experiences as Batgirl in that Batgirl one-shot, you know, that early on in her career. But here, I mean, she's a little bit more established. She's officially a part of the team now. And I think that the thrill seeker in her, yeah, she lost a friend in all of this, but I still think the thrill seeker in her would rise above, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if I'm doing such a good job of explaining this, but it's just... I don't know. It's like... It, it, I don't know. For whatever reason, fucking... The words just aren't coming to me, but I hope I'm making some kind of sense here that I just don't completely buy into the idea that, that she would be so, so shaken up by what she's gone through that uh, she'd be tempted to call it a day after this. So, I don't know. Maybe she would, you know? And in fact, if you consider yourself to be a little bit more of a Barbara Gordon student than I am, then, you know, by all means, uh, send me an email and let me know what you think. Uh, trinismagnus at gmail.com. Email me and let me know if you think I'm wrong on this. It's just, I don't know. Uh, this, I mean, I like the girl frenzy concept in general. You know, the tie-ins and whatnot I've read. I've just, my point is that I just find it a little bit hard to buy into, I guess, her, her struggle in all of this. So, anyway. So, that, I think, is uh, pretty much that. Now, as to next week, just to kind of give you guys a little bit of a preview of what's going to be going on here, I'm going to be talking about The Batman Adventures, number 12, number 14, 
number 18, and number 26. And just to kind of flesh this all out a little bit more, what we're basically talking about here is Emily Middleton calls it headcanon, you know? It's where a fan of some character or some property, just, you know, whatever it is, they basically devise their own canon of these characters' lives and how things have played out, right? And that's pretty much, you know, these continuity problems notwithstanding. I do see, and I don't really give a damn what DC con uh, considers to be canon anymore because according to them, the new 52 was canon there for, for quite a while before they did yet another fucking reboot or retcon or whatever the fuck that was supposed to be. And so for me, for my continuity, my headcanon of Batgirl shows her starting off in Batgirl year one for more or less the same reasons that she, I guess, elucidates in year one. Specifically that, number one, she wants to be involved in law enforcement, and number two, she's sick to fuck of nobody taking her seriously. Those two things are pretty much what really piss her off in the story. And at the same time, they kind of define her resentment and something that she decides to use against people and exploit their low expectations of her. Exploit those in order to turn their expectations against them, you know? Which is a kind of a, I guess, a judo type of philosophy to have. And so... I find that actually very persuasive. Now, to a lesser degree, I do find the Batgirl one-shot to be somewhat canonical. Inasmuch as, yeah, there are continuity issues related uh, to year one versus the Batgirl one-shot. But then again, it's not like Batman really countenances Batgirl in any of this. He basically just swings to the rescue. But they never really associate with one another in that story. Like, they never really relate to each other. They never talk to one another. And in fact... Uh, Batman reveals his, his identity to Batgirl in year one. And in the Batgirl one-shot, which takes place right after Batgirl has become Batgirl, he stops her from taking off his mask. So if he's protecting his identity, well, yeah, he logically would do so, considering the fact that Batgirl, at this point in her, in her history, doesn't know it. So that actually does ring very much true. And then here in Girl Frenzy... There are aspects of this that I do find, you know, consistent with what, what again, what you might call my headcanon at Batgirl. You know, she would go after uh, Zaz. Again, maybe she wouldn't do it alone, but there would be a personal aspect to all of this that, you know what, he murdered her friend, Jessica, and this is a personal thing for her. I can't convince myself that she'd go in there alone and without a plan but she would go after Zaz. There's no, uh, there's no doubt in my mind about all of that. And so, like I say, I mean, it, the whole idea of headcanon is that it's not perfect. You know, there are invariably going to be interpretive uh, difficulties in all of this. And so, and indeed, we'll be getting into a few of those uh, when we talk about uh, the Batman Adventures comics that I've got coming up uh, next week. But... As I say, that's all for next week. And again, those Batman Adventures uh, issues are 
number 12, number 14, number 18, and number 26. So come back for that. But uh, as for me for this week, I think that's pretty much it. So bye, everybody. I'll see you next week. Sucaros, Moria Clawhammer here. Thanks to a tax loophole and a life insurance policy, I have an authentic Mexican taco stand. The explosive taqueria. Well, if you want a pound of burrito, or just get your tongue on a taco, well, get off your ass, take a waco. Come throw some meat down your throat. If you want some food, here's a thingo. You don't want to eat like a gringo. Have some Mexican grub with some zingo. Taco sauce that explodes in your mouth. At the Explosive Taqueria in South DeManzaville, we have every kind of goddamn Mexican food you crave. We got chimichangas, ensalada, churros, chupacarnes, deep-fried jalapeno pooper, churritos, the famous taco shake. Taco shake discontinued. Triple refried baked beans, choritos, chimichibas, chimichochas, the Commodore's nachos, and the ever-popular endless burrito bowl. All prepared by our authentic Mexican cook, Manuel. My name is David. I'm from Bolivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the ladies, 
We have the Tila Tequila, a tiny taco, but you'll be amazed how much beef and cheese we can stuff in there. For the Daredevil, we have the El Pollo Croco, a full chicken stuffed with four soft-shell tacos, two beef burritos, and two sides of your choice, deep-fried and slathered in taco sass. The taco sauce with sass. So lock down your sphincter and come on down. The Explosive Taqueria, 312 Elm Street, south of Monzaville. Tell them Maury Clawhammer sent you. Arriva Dirty. Joe against Cobra and Destro fighting to save the day. He never gives up, he's always there, fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Okay. Joe, American hero, G.I. Joe is there. Attention, Joes, this is General Hawk. I have an important mission for you. I need you to listen to G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. It's a monthly podcast where Aaron Moss, codename Head, and two other Joes, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, will be reporting on the comic book G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. Previously published by Marvel, currently being published by IDW Comics. We'll also cover the special missions, the yearbooks, order battles, etc. To hear their message, report to gijoe.headspeaks.com or iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can get further information at Facebook, Google+, and Twitter. All under G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Dismissed. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, is a proud member of the headcast family. The world never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. If you like strange pop culture, if you like obscure stuff that you wish you'd have heard of years ago and you don't know what it is, if you like just that kind of stuff, old radio, um, obscure, unmarketable pop culture, uh, strange chiptune music, um, all sorts of things like that can be found on the Quake Reversal Satellite on Overnightscape Underground at O-N-S-U-G dot com. It's an amazing show at an amazing place full of uh, strange and unmarketable internet transmissions. Hours and hours and days and just O-N-S-U-G dot com. Take a look around and I bet you you'll find something. That's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T W O T R U E 
F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing, and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2 True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the 2 True Freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Do not remove this tag under penalty of law. All models are over the age of 18. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonzacore of Milan, Italy.